the biggest difference in the category today where we want to take this category, and it's a $28 billion uh, upside for retail, it is if you had a Mexican grandma that taught you how to cook from scratch, you're a lot more likely to find to go and visit that shelf. So at some point, we're like, well, why don't we just hire 100 Mexican grandmas, put them in a call center, and have a 1-800-HOT-TACO number that you can just call and they can tell you what to do. And, and that is very hard to execute for, for many obvious reasons. But now with AI, we can have that digital. And you can take a picture of the back of our pack and you can tell the abuela AI, you know, like, what do you have on your fridge? What is the SOMOS product you have? And come up with a recipe. And we think the same way we're, we're developing some AR technology that you can actually do that on the shelf as well. And we think there is, when you focus on the experience versus focusing on the category, we're, we're not launching products. We're trying to solve for a solution, for a big gap that it's in the market today. Then the product, the system, all of these things that add up to experience become super, super obvious, but where they were not before, they were not for us two years ago or a year ago. Hello, I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and this is a Consumer VC podcast where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. If you're enjoying the show, also subscribe to my newsletter at theconsumervc.com where you'll receive new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. If you're also listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube, hit that subscribe button if you're enjoying it, and, and please leave a review. All content episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Our guest today is Miguel Leal, who is the co-founder and CEO of Somos Foods. Somos Foods makes Mexican food with authentic recipes and plant-based non-GMO ingredients. We discuss the origin story of Somos, why he started D2C and then had to pivot quite quickly to retail, how he thinks about entering different categories and leveraging AI. Without further ado, here's Miguel. Miguel, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me, Mike. It is such a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, no, it's an absolute, absolute honor for you to come on the show. Really, really excited to chat all things Somos. Um, so I know you worked at Kind Snacks for a long time, and then you worked at uh, Cholula, both brands that I adore and really love. Um, but why did you feel March 2021? Take me through it. Why did you feel that was the right time to launch Somos and the right time to actually you found your own company? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think Kind was transformational for me. I have worked in food for 25 years. But as you know, Kind was just such a special company. It's a lot of values and a lot of ways of doing business. Not only I learned, but it, it confirmed a lot of theories that I had for myself and, and the way, you know, food could come out into the world. And uh, Cholula, you know, great brand, great experience. And at the end of that journey, you know, we sold that company to McCormick, I ended up, first of all, without a job. So I thought it was like a really good time to to try something new. It was probably the first time that I didn't have a plan B. It was a much shorter 
uh, time at Cholula that we expected. We always thought we would own and run that company for five to seven years, and it ended up being 18 months, which you know was the right thing to do, but, but it still surprised us. So I think it was a, the first thing, just finding yourself in a situation where everything is a possibility. The second piece, it was, it was just like a really weird time. You know, we were coming off from this pandemic. There wasn't a lot of innovations. Things were already starting to change, you know, from D2C to retail, from consumer acquisition costs to, you know, maybe advertising on Facebook and Google. It's not what it used to be. Obviously, a lot less pressure on growth and a lot more pressure on profit. And I just thought that that murky environment was going to generate a lot of opportunities. But the third thing, and probably the most important, was uh, a call I got from Daniel. You know, Daniel was ready to do something new as well. And, you know, he called me up and just to have an opportunity to do something to do together, you know, with someone that not only I admire, but I consider, you know, a friend and, uh, and, and you know, to put a business plan together. I, I, I don't know if it was like the right time or the wrong time, but I thought there's always the right time, you know, to, to do a business with, with a friend that is awesome. And when you say Daniel, you're talking about Daniel, the founder of Kind Snacks. Is that correct? Yeah, Daniel Lubetsky. So Daniel Lubetsky is the founder of Kind. He's also, you know, on Shark Tank for the fourth or fifth season. And, you know, I think he's, you know, one of the most successful founders in food. But as a Mexican-American, he's the most successful Mexican-American entrepreneur that I know or, you know, that is visible. So... Uh, and, and, you know, just talking to my wife about it, who always gives me, you know, I've been married for 19 years, who always gives me great advice. She's, he's also, you know, of the highest integrity. So he's like, hey, you know, whatever you do with him, it's not only going to be successful, but you're doing it with a person that, that you can learn values and many other things. So, so that, was, that was probably the reason to do it. When Daniel approached you for what ultimately became Somos, what, what was the thought? What was like the, what was he seeing that was different? And maybe what you were seeing as well, that you both decided to kind of join forces on, on this venture. Yeah. So him and I have been friends for 15 years. You know, we were friends first, then eight years later, we were colleagues and now we are co-founders. And one of the things, you know, we lived in, in New York city, uh, with our third co-founder, Rodrigo, who was the head of product at Kind. And the three of us would go out to restaurants a lot, to Mexican restaurants. The three of us were born in Mexico. And we would see how much Mexican food changed in the last 10 years at restaurants. I mean, it, it is incredible. Like, uh, you know, taco cabanas became chipotles. And, you know, like even food that you see in birria, food car trucks in New York with a block of, uh, you know, people in line waiting for it. Just food became so innovative, so authentic, and so much more like the food we ate growing up in Mexico. We, eating out at Mexican restaurants, honestly, may, reminded us a lot of from home. But the three of us grew up in the food industry, selling food in retail stores. And, and still, when we would go to the stores, 
there was no innovation in the last 10 years. It's still, you know, the taco kit with the fluorescent yellow hard corn shells and the canned beans. And, and, and just that disparity between the two was what really started us just, we would talk about this canned category constantly when we were working together at Kind and how we was ripe for reinvention. And and I think, you know, when we got together, there, there were a couple of other things, you know, from the learnings of Cholula, just how much the palate is changing and how, you know, we just thought, you know, we wanted to be the change we wanted on the shelf. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of my conversation with Dario, um, uh, the founder of uh, Tacombi, who's also been on the show and what and what he's been doing in the restaurant on the restaurant side to see some of that innovation. But as you say, you didn't see that innovation when it came to the actual CPG in the grocery store type um, uh, uh, type setting for um, what it actually came to Mexican food. Yes, exactly. Uh, Dario is a good friend. We're both from Monterrey, Mexico, and we live in New York. And I listened to, to your podcast with him and, and I think, you know, it is the same thesis, you know. I see it a lot in what Dario and other people are doing on Mexican food at restaurants. I think it's a white space. And, and maybe elaborating a little bit of that uh, in the spirit of better to overshare than undershare. Mexican food is the largest ethnic food in America, 68 billion. It is larger than Italian food and it is much larger than all the other foods. But as different to Italian food, which is the next closest one, Italian food is about 50-50 restaurant and grocery. Mexican food is 82% sold at the restaurant. So only 18% of Mexican food, people cook it at home. And moreover, it's mostly cooked by people like me, that we have a Mexican abuela that taught us how to put things together. And when you walk the Mexican set versus Italian set, it's very easy to see why. All the Mexican set is packed with ingredients, while the Italian set is packed with solutions, pasta and sauce. To cook Italian food, you need two ingredients and 10 minutes. To cook Mexican food, you need tortillas, spices, cooking sauces, rice from scratch, beans from scratch. It's, it takes an hour to do tacos at home, and it leaves your kitchen a mess. And, and we want to be the pasta and sauce for the Mexican aisle. We want to be the one that brings the mainstream consumer to that aisle and that people that don't have a Mexican abuela feel comfortable grabbing two or three of our pouches and having a complete meal in less than 10 minutes. I'm glad you pointed that out. And I also really appreciate the stats. I think that's really interesting, kind of like the comparison of Mexican food to Italian food. Um, and as well as trying to get people to be able to cook really good Mexican food in a shorter amount of time. But as you say, when it comes to a lot of the products, when it comes to Mexican food, there's a lot of different ones. You need the tortilla, you need the rice, you need, you know, uh, maybe the protein, um, uh, maybe some peppers, maybe the salsa. How... I know that you have a number, a, a wide range of products at, at Somos. When you were launching, which kind of category did you want to start out with? What, was it rice? Was it salsa? Or did you decide you wanted to actually go and be a multi-category brand from the, from the beginning? Yeah. So let's talk about like the Somos then and the Somos now, because, because there is a difference. So when we started the company 2021, 
we started it as a direct-to-consumer brand. And our original idea was we saw so many people doing Taco Tuesdays uh, coming out of the pandemic. That's when Mexican food like really accelerated at home. And, and we thought, let's send everybody a pack that has all the ingredients you need for Taco Tuesday. I mean, we did the rices, we did the beans, we did the salsas, we did the taco fillings, we did the tortillas, we did tortilla chips. That was like a really extensive assortment, but it was extensive for a reason. So you could receive this kit and in less than, you know, 10 minutes, you can have a full Taco Tuesday done for your family at home. Uh, you know, things change, you know, <laughs> like from that time to the next year. It's like one of the biggest changes in businesses that we've seen. Uh, iOS changes, uh, fulfillment costs, inflation of food, uh, you know, you name it, interest rates, just moving everything to profit. And, and the most important one for us, Mike, was consumers just stop buying food from... Uh, direct to consumers. Everybody went back to the retail stores. So last year on Expo West, March of last year, we had to pivot and we pivot our business to grocery, but we pivot with a D2C portfolio. So for example, we only have two rices in a rice set that has 200 SKUs. We only had two beans in a bean set that has 300 SKUs. So we, we had to find a way to break through in that shelf. And what ended up breaking through for us was the convenience. The way that you can get less than five items and have a complete meal, it would reduce the, the items in your recipe from 12 to five and the time that you need to prepare from an hour to 10 and 15 minutes. And bringing that experience into shelf it's, it's really the category that we are focusing. So to, to specifically answer your question, we didn't try to be like, oh, let's be tortillas. We want to be the pasta and sauce. We want to be something that doesn't exist today. We want to be the anchor on your solution for bringing a Taco Tuesday to your family. So, so for that, we needed to create a new category. We needed to create something that didn't exist. So... It was that whole thing of like, what is the right aisle? Where is the right space? And then how do you bring the experience to life? I, I understand the reason why you, and the opportunity you saw um, within D2C and selling direct and thinking about, okay, we're actually more of a, we're not a meal, a, a meal kit company, but but we're essentially, with our ingredients, if, if you buy from us, you'll be able to build um, for your taco Tuesdays and maybe for other, um, and maybe if you just love Mexican food, which I, I, I love Mexican food. I probably eat it multiple times a week. Um, uh, but, uh, not just taco Tuesday, but, um, I, but I understand that, you know, you wanted to make it really simple. It it's all there. Um, it's all there and you kind of buy a pack and that was kind of your strategy when you, which I do think all of this is also pretty fascinating because you, with Cholula and Kind, I mean, those were kind of huge wholesale businesses, right? They weren't, I would imagine they weren't really big D to C direct to consumer businesses. So you, so it's, I think it's also kind of interesting that from an experience side, uh, since you've been in food for a long time, I'd imagine it's much more prone to wholesale rather than direct to consumer, but you went the direct to consumer route. 
um, because of this thesis that you that that you and Daniel had in terms of making food simple, and also during the middle of the pandemic, and people actually wanted to, um, you felt that people were buying more online, which at the time they did. Um, what how how did that translate though when you're in stores and now you're you can't just kind of sell in a bundle, right? You have multiple products and um and what have you. You have you know a salsa here and you know rice here. How do you think about making that experience simple with your products um, and and kind of differentiate that, you know, it was maybe easier to do online? Yeah, and, and it was a journey. I don't want to say that we started there. I think when we pivoted to retail, what we found out was that some of our lines were doing better than others. So, for example, rices, super intuitive to have rice in a pouch and put it through 90 seconds into the microwave. Taco feeling, you know, probably less so because, you know, that that product didn't exist on the shelf until we brought it in. I think the insight that got us to our conversation today, Mike, was we saw that when consumers cook with two or three of the products, our repeat rate and our loyalty went through the roof. So we had to understand, okay, what is going on? I think at the beginning we're like, okay, we're going to launch this, you know, eight or 12 SKU portfolio into different retailers, and we're going to see what hunts, and then we're going to lean in into that product. But that was not the case. Even though some products were doing better than others, the sum of its parts was so much bigger than the whole. When you get a consumer that would buy a taco kit and then buy a Somos rice, beans, and salsa to go with it, or someone would buy a rice and beans and a veggie and do a burrito bowl together. We saw just the repeat rates, the engagement, everything just jump quickly. So that was the biggest challenge. I think what made this business so different than Cholula, so different from Kind, so different from other business out there is like, okay, it seems like our original thesis was right, but now we need to make that happen into retail. And that was our biggest challenge. We went to Expo West this year and we won tons of distribution and tons of award because we were doing that for everybody. And when consumers or customers or buyers will come in, they will tell us, I cannot believe taste this good came out of the microwave. You know, where did you cook it? How did you do it? And like, no, it took us 15 minutes to put it together. So how do we bring those magic into store? That was our biggest challenge. And I think we started simple with promotions. How do we merchandise them together? And how, when we promote, we don't promote a product like we did at Kind of Cholula. We promote a recipe. So you can see it behind me, actually. There is our burrito bowl chipper. And that was our version one of that chipper. Doesn't look like that today. But it is a recipe. Three ingredients, simple price point and you take away the recipe digitally or physically with you. is when we reach out to an influencer, it's not to highlight a product, but it is how that product comes together with two other products to make a complete meal. So it has really been in every single step. I can give you 12 different examples in the path to purchase, how we don't promote the product, but we promote what we call internally the SOMO system, which is that experience of the consumer to turn a meal 
in 15 minutes with n almost zero cleanup after that. To your, to your one point, if you buy three of your products, the retention rate goes through the roof. And so it actually is a pretty different strategy to what you were actually came from. It is very different. It is very hard to find other brands that do it in store. We've been focusing a lot of brands, for example, like Lego, that they sell systems and how they are successful at selling systems and how we can bring some of those systems learnings into the retail environment. And I told you the work that we've been doing so far, which it has been on merchandising, on social digital, on the back panel. We also think there is a, a, a great road ahead on how we bring two or three different products into one pack in store. We have a big innovation on that coming up this fall with one of our retail partners. But we are also looking at how does AR and AI play a huge role with this? You know, like if I could, like I told you, the, the biggest difference in the category today where we want to take this category, and it's a $28 billion uh, upside for retail, it is if you had a Mexican grandma that taught you how to cook from scratch, you're a lot more likely to find to go and visit that shelf. So at some point, we're like, well, why don't we just hire 100 Mexican grandmas, put them in a call center, and have a 1-800-HOT-TACO number that you can just call, and they can tell you what to do. And, and that is very hard to execute for, for many obvious reasons. But now with AI, we can have that digital. And you can take a picture of the back of our pack, and you can tell the abuela AI, you know, like, what do you have on your fridge? What is the SOMOS product you have and come up with a recipe. And we think the same way we're, we're developing some AR technology that you can actually do that on the shelf as well. And we think there is, when you focus on the experience versus focusing on the category, we're, we're not launching products. We're trying to solve for a solution, for a big gap that it's in the market today. Then the product, the system, all of these things that add up to experience become super, super obvious, but where they were not before, they were not for us two years ago or a year ago. Yeah. So I mean, it seems, I guess, back to what we were originally saying that you're kind of focused on how do you make the meal that tastes good, right? Or that tastes great. And so if I understand correctly on the AI side, um, you could, um, or the vision is, or I'm not sure if you're able to do this now, but the idea is you go to a grocery store, you say, okay, I have, I want to get uh, somosa uh, salsa, let's say. And then, and then maybe also it's rice. And then you can tell the AI, I want to buy these two products from Somos. I have, maybe I have um, uh, cheese, tortillas, or, you know, other products already at home or, or, or whichever. What could be interesting meals that I could make? And then they actually tell, and it actually tells you really simply how to make a meal. Is that, is that roughly correct? Yeah, that is one of the applications. We see several of them. We see from creating the shopping list. We also see you, you had that experience that you just described, but you have some leftover refried beans in your pantry. And here are other things that I have. Hey, I got cheese and I got tortillas. Perfect. Do some quesadillas with refried beans. Just throw any salsa that you have. But for me, it's very intuitive. 
And I think, you know, that's why, in my opinion, the Taco Tuesday is the greatest Trojan horse in the history of like an international meal. Because once you, you bring that home and you do it once and you have something left over, you can see how versatile you have leftover chips. You can make chilaquiles in the morning. You have leftover beans. You can make quesadillas. You have leftover salsas. You can make guacamole. And and mixing and matching is is a very pleasant adventure. Yeah, no, um, can I can understand why um, Taco Tuesday? Because um, I mean, almost everybody knows what Taco Tuesday is. It's it's Taco Tuesday. I mean, we 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 try to make tacos or fajitas or um, uh, quesadillas every Tuesday um, uh, in, in our household. So um, totally totally makes sense. T- talk to me a little bit more because I'd imagine that was a pretty tough curve going from d to c to wholesale um at what at what point did you realize that the consumer like um because it, it gets talked about now quite a bit about how um you know d to c or um e-commerce penetrations down um retail penetrations uh back up that we're looking at roughly the same numbers from five years from now what it would have been um if covid never happened but at, when did you no, because it seems like you pivoted pretty early from because you started in March 2021. When did you pivot to wholesale? So we launched, we had our beta test in September of 21. We put together a couple of kits on our website. We sent it to friends and family. We thought we were going to do X and we did 5X. So we were like, wow, this is lighting in a bottle. Let's, you know, hire the team. Let's put together our partners, influencers, you know, chefs, etc. Build the supply chain. Let's, you know, make a bunch of these kits. And let's just like light it up in January. So January 1st, we launched it big time, put a lot of money into Google and Facebook. And, and I think it was a blessing. It didn't feel like a blessing at the time. It really felt like a curse. But in two, three months, we burned so much cash, Mike. I am like ashamed to say it here in your, in your podcast that I just, it was very clear. I had to go back to, to my two partners and be like, hey, we don't have a sustainable business here. And I think it was great that it was fast uh, because we had a chance to pivot quickly. And also timing was great because we made that decision kind of like after a couple of months, like end of February, and we had Expo West a week later. So Expo West, you know, was a good place to test if if this uh, range could, could, you know, grow in a retail environment. And to our surprise, you know, we, we, we had a couple of customers. We had like 500 confirmed stores, but we left Expo West with 5,000 stores. We ended up at you know, closer to 6,000 by the end of last year. So we, you know, we would talk to retailers and retailers will pitch us the Somos category story before they open the deck. You know, we need mainstream consumers. We need to make it easy. We need solutions. We don't need more ingredients in the shelf. You know, we want people to feel comfortable, to, to not feel like this is something difficult to do. And then we would open the deck and, and it would be verbatim the story of what we were trying to do with Somos. So I think we were very lucky that that things D2C failed very fast. Uh, 
you know, very expensive way of learning, but, you know, we were able to put it behind us and move on. And then we're also very lucky that coming out of the pandemic, retailers were so hungry for innovation, especially in this set. In terms of also like during the pivot from from DTC um, to to retail and wholesale, how did you have to also rethink like your 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 sales and 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 your pricing structure, your your margin your margin structure, and as well as also change anything about your packaging? Yes, yes, and yes. So everything. Uh, I think price is something that we talked about a lot. But I think the way we promote our items became incredibly important. Like I said, how do you promote items as a system when rice, beans, and salsas have different price points and different promotional points? So that is something that that required a while, and you know, I'll get to the end. But the solution is, you know, you get this meal for your family for ten dollars. So it's it's less about the individual price point and it's about all the items coming together or save X number of dollars when you bundle this recipe together. That's really the communication that makes the most sense. And the most important piece is the one that you said, and it is about the packaging. I think when we started, I got a little too cute with some of the names. So for example, my mom has a recipe called Picadillo. And I wanted to have that on the package. And when we switched to plant-based taco filling, our sales increased tremendously on that item because it was all about more intuitive, a lot less cute. Same with our salsas. We started with the salsas with the ingredient names. And once we went to mild, medium, hot, you know, chipotle, red and green, you know, that was a lot easier for consumers to understand. We saw a ton more trial. We just launched what I think is the best product that we make, which is our salsa matcha. And we, on purpose, didn't launch it as salsa matcha. We launched it as Mexican chili crisp. And just the adoption of that name change has also been tremendous. So it's really designing with the end consumer in mind and with the final recipe in mind versus designing, you know, we were very product first at Kaina Cholula. And I think we are very experienced first at Somos. Got it. Um, why, why, did you ch- why did you change to plant-based taco filling? Yeah, because consumers didn't understand, didn't know what to do with the product, didn't know what to do with the way that the name was, that was Picadillo. So Picadillo is something that is very regional. And for us, the thought was that that would drive a ton of authenticity, but it didn't drive adoption. And I think the way that it works, or if we are successful with what we are trying to, to build, people are going to come first for the recipe. And then through the process of learning about the recipe and learning about the food, culture would be something that comes as a byproduct of that relationship. When we started the company, we were very culture first. We wanted to talk about Mexican Independence Day and places that you can go to travel in Mexico. And, you know, it's it's not only Taco Tuesday, it's for every day of the week. And what, what we found is that that is a great point, but you need to meet consumers where they are. And where people come to this shelf, 
they are looking to for a solution to to feel you know their taconite at home and once you start the relationship there then you can tell them about all the other wonderful things but there is a sequence on the conversation there is a chapter 1 where you set up the character chapter 2 chapter 3 and and you need to tell that story with that curve got it no that that makes sense that makes sense and and also like how as well do you think about the overall kind of plant-based market when it comes to mexican food and 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 if consumers especially um uh ones that you know maybe aren't mexican like are able to actually resonate with it uh, i mean I, I think for us it's a very easy question we we wanted to come up with a brand that was different from everything else on the shelf. And one of the stereotypes that we felt we were fighting was that people thought that Mexican food was very heavy, that it didn't have any nutrients, and that it wa- it, it couldn't be better for you. Like, I don't want to eat Taco Tuesday every night, or I don't want to eat Mexican food because I don't want to eat something heavy. And, you know, me, Daniel, Rodrigo, the Mexican... We didn't call it Mexican food growing up. For us, it was all food. We would eat Mexican food every day. We grew up in Mexico, and we would have a lot of vegetables, and it didn't feel heavy. It felt like it was very nutritious. We grew up with that. So we felt like launching first a range that included plant-based options was a great way to show to the consumer that our brand was different, that we were trying to do something else. I think, you know, to get where we want to go with this product is going to have to have a lot more than plant-based because most of Mexican food is not plant-based. But I think it was a great origin story for the brand. Awesome. Awesome. That's that, no, that makes, it, makes a ton of sense as well, um, why you felt there was a need for some of us. And clearly, there is a need for it. I know you're you're expanding like wildfire when it comes to um, uh, retailers. And uh, um I know you launched, um, as you mentioned, you left Expo West with 5,000 stores. I believe that first year you you got into 6,000 stores, which is phenomenal. Um, how do you also think and approach retail expansion? Do you think about, I've, I, I've had on some brands that want to get into the most amount of stores um, uh, very, very quickly. I have others that want to start out in just regions and see how they actually fare in regions and kind of move a little bit of a slower pace, but really paying attention to their velocities. How do you overall, um, I know that you come from a long retail extensive background. How do you think, how do you think um, with the Somo story, you think about retail in that, from that perspective? Yeah, I, th- I think we've also pivoted in that a little bit. I think, you know, the, the way that I think about it is a lot on, on category management and category leadership. And it's different by brand and it's different by category. But specifically for Somos, we like to partner with retailers that see what we see, that see this gap of mainstream consumers finding solutions to cook Mexican food at home. And in order to do that, we need a whole shelf on the aisle. We need to be able to merchandise different products. We need to invest in promoting them at price points. We need to 
you know, create innovation together. We need to not only innovation in product, but in the way that that we promote or we bring recipes to market. And, and that really has become our priority. I think, you know, when we started, we really didn't know what we were doing. So we were very lucky to find accounts that would give us the opportunity to test and learn. And now the places where we are leaning in is this partnership with retailers that really see what we see. Like we are taking, you know, our biggest customer to Mexico next month and we're spending a week with them and we're going to go and meet with four or five different chefs. We're going to meet with the farmers that grow our beans, that grow our peppers. We're going to talk about a three-year, you know, pipeline expansion into what Somos could be. We're going to talk about like different recipes that we can bring into the market we want to have three or four relationships like that across channels that then it's going to require a lot more than someone's to close this $38 billion gap in the market. And we think, you know, with category leadership and with customers that believe in us and give us the space, that that is where we need to lean in. I know you've, I know you've, when it comes to that partnership with the retailer and kind of understanding what the ethos is of Somos and as well as that, you know, you have um, the plan is, is that someone actually comes in and buys multiple products from you all because they're building a meal and you give them a very easy way to, uh, to do that. Um, has, I mean, clearly it seems like it hasn't been that tough of a sell since you've gotten into 5,000 stores really quickly, but um, understanding that you want to come in into multiple categories, right? And not just be a rice brand or just be a salsa brand. Has that been difficult at all to explain to retailers? Not at all. I think retailers get it. I think the piece where we've found great success is we start by telling them what is the gap that we see and how we want to solve it. And then in many cases, Mike, which I think is your point, we need more than Somos to make it happen. Sometimes we need to partner with brands like Avocados from Mexico. Sometimes we need to partner with tortilla brands. Uh, We don't see a place that this Taco Tuesday happens exclusively with Somos. But we see a place that Somos is a big part of that, you know, is 60% of that recipe and the rest is either produce or is, you know, like brands that we've established partnerships with that see what we see in the market. And uh, and that's what the retailer comes in. And sometimes they are great to make introductions to other companies. And sometimes they're like, no, 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 we'll do it with you with our private label. And here are everything that we're willing to do to make it happen across categories. So we've seen a, a ton of success of that in store. And now we're complementing it, like I told you, with social media and technology as well. Totally. Um, how how are you thinking as well about product innovation? And if there are new categories that you're maybe assessing in order to enter or not enter? The number one thing right now is to innovate on the experience and not on the product. So how do we make the experience better? Some of it is on the product, but most of it, is in the path to purchase in, in your overall experience. On the product particularly, what we've seen is that there are some of our lines because of the 
pivot from D2C to retail that needs that need expansion. So I'm going to give you an example. We only had two rices and we needed for presence in the store and for our recipes, a bigger rice set. So we just launched our Mexican street corn white rice, which after a couple of months, it has become our number one velocity item. But I think as, as we look forward, and maybe, the, maybe I should continue on that example because that is a good one. We spent a lot of time social listening on the restaurant side. What are the items that are becoming very popular for people to order, not only in Mexican restaurants, but outside of Mexican restaurants? So without divulging any of our secret sauce, last year, it was Mexican street court. We not only saw it in every Mexican restaurant, we would even see it in like chilies and Applebee's. They would have like Mexican street corn. So then we can tell that that is a place that restaurants have made it mainstream for consumers, but consumers don't have a solution on how to bring it at home. I'll give you another example. Chicken al pastor from uh, Chipotle. It's, you know, it looks like it's on fire based on the numbers that we have seen. Well, it seems like people really love that tasting restaurant, but they don't have a solution on how to make it at home. So what could we do to help them in that regard? So we are going to continue to be, I think, very recipe-centric and very system-centric. What are the items that are on fire in restaurant that consumers don't know how to make them at home? They don't want to keep spending you know, $40 on two burritos on Uber Eats, especially, you know, in, in these times. So how can we help them make them conveniently and delicious in store? And then if we bring that item, like the street corn, how does that make the rest of the system? What is the role in the system to make more and better recipes with the, with the rest of the Lego pieces that we have? I, I really like like that and thank you very much for explaining it taking inspiration from restaurants as well as when it comes to mexican food um the restaurant is um um people are more likely to eat mexican food in a restaurant setting rather than actually purchase um uh purchase ingredients and actually make their own mexican food so taking inspiration from what actually are um what are actually are the trends on the mexican restaurant food side of of new um of Mexican street corn, for example, as you said, and then also trying to see, okay, if they, if, if they like this here in, 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 at, at this particular setting, why wouldn't they want to learn how to make that their own? Obviously as well, save some money. It's always cheaper to make things normally cheaper to make things than, than to eat out. So um, that, that makes a ton of sense about how you think about innovation and imagine too, it's from a recipe side too. Then, okay, if we, if we do introduce this, what type of recipes can we also introduce as well to, um, to customers to make it easier for them? Yeah, exactly. And if you think about it, food is like that, like, you know, my earlier life, I work at Danone yogurt and Greek yogurt got huge in restaurants before it made it into retail. If you think of Kind, you know, Kind was always an excellent product, but once Kind got into Starbucks, it exploded. And I'll tell you for Cholula, almost 50% of new consumers came to retail because they tried Cholula at a restaurant, you know, with their tacos or with their eggs. 
and they just want to found it in the retail store. So so I think this like restaurant to retail path to purchase is something that you know we, you know we will continue to see for for the reasons you mentioned. What's it also been like, and and how were you able to uh, successfully fundraise? What has that journey been like for you? I think we are a little bit different. You know, Rodrigo, Daniel, and I have been funding this business from the beginning, the three of us. And and I am very lucky that I can be CEO without having to spend 50% of my time doing fundraising. So the three of us and only three investors in Somos and like kind, every full-time team teammate is also uh, a partner in the business. So we try to create a culture of ownership at Somos, just like we did at Kind. Uh, so, so I think, you know, in, in that regard, we've been able to focus on executing versus having to spend part of the time executing part of the time fundraising. Got it. No, that's, that's really lucky. That's great. That's really, really great to hear. Um, how also, I remember you talking about, you know, right now it's also thinking about how can the digital experience rather than focusing maybe too much on innovation, how can we actually lend digital experience um, in order to maybe drive sales and maybe drive velocities? How do you, how do you think about that piece? Yeah, I, I think it's, Keeping exactly the same mentality, but applying it to to that uh, to that vertical, which is technology. So I, I am very lucky because I am married to an American, so I get to see you know someone that didn't grow up in Mexico, that grew up in Michigan. Just you know her relationship to Mexican food and her friend's relationship to Mexican food, and how I can find what are the points of a struggle with ethnic food and how we can make them better. So I told you recipes is a big place of inspiration. And I think for a lot of people, it sets up the path to purchase. You say, I love this. I found this recipe and I think I can get the products and make it myself at home. I'm going to give it a try. But uh, there is a lot of friction in that environment. So how can we make it better, you know, for example, with AR? You know, how can you bring your phone into store, walk through an aisle, and instead of looking at items on the aisle, you can see finished product of what you can make with that on the aisle, press a button, and have that recipe text to your phone. That would be one of the things that we are focusing on. I think the other one that that for me, <laughs> just so many consumers have told us about is, hey, I have leftover X. What else can I do with this? You know, like I finished my recipe. I have some leftover salsa. What can I cook with these ingredients that I already have? I think that is a huge point of friction that we think could be done with with AI as well. And and like that, we think there is, you know, we see a place where marketing uh, email list, you know, transition into being like our, you know, Taco Tuesday of the week recipe. We we think there's going to be a huge pivot. Like it's it's a lot of fun to do burrito balls with your family and just have like eight different ingredients and you and your kids can make your own. Just like when I was growing up, you know, we would make our own pizzas, everybody, and have that kind of experience come. So 
we look at like all those different uh, friction points on the ethnic path, path to purchase and how can we turn a, a, a bug into a feature? How can we, instead of being a friction point, it turns a point of delight? And, and to be honest, most of them are solved by things other than product. And I think that's really what what can be game changing for for Somos and for the category. Yeah, for um, uh, to solve that experience and um, uh, make sense. I mean, I know that this has been top of mind for a number of companies in terms of how do you actually build technology into the experience when largely you are you know a wholesale retail company, um, and how can you kind of leverage technology in order to um, uh, to help you in that way? So um, I I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. Um, yeah, if you think about it, you know, it's a whole omni-channel is a word that has been used for many years. And, and I've been doing this for a while. You know, when I when we have the meetings with the other founders who have been, you know, so awesome to to bring me in their community, I am the oldest one by far of everybody there. And and something that I think it's funny is at the beginning of my career, I work in all these brick and mortar brands, and we were trying to get to e-commerce. And e-commerce back then, there was no Shopify. There were no fulfillment centers. This is like the early, early days, you know, of like trying to get into Amazon, right? Right now is the opposite. You see the daily harvest and the magic spoons of the world or like running into retail. And I think at the end is how do we bring, and this is for sure for Somos, how do we bring our mission and, and the vision that we have for the brand and the best things the experience that we were trying to create in D2C, but what can we bring of that experience into brick and mortar? And, and for me, that is really, you know, like where everything comes together, everything that we learned the first 10 years of my career, but also the second 10 years of my career, and now, you know, put it together to make a better experience for the consumer. No, totally. I think that this is, um, because I think it's like to your early point, um, in terms of the makeup um, to be a, to selling direct, direct to consumer is it's very challenging for a number of the points that you made earlier in this conversation. Um, and I know that that's, you know, ultimately that that's why I pivoted to retail. And so, and I think a number of companies are, you know, going into retail earlier, maybe than they expected or going to wholesale, but you still have, you know, how do you leverage technology in order to actually, um, to actually make that experience better if they're not buying for you online, right? And so, um, and so, um, yeah, no, I really, I, I, I really appreciate your thoughts around that. Makes a lot of sense. Um, what is what's one book that's inspired you personally, and one book that's inspired you professionally? Yeah, uh, I was thinking about this, listening uh, to your podcast. I was afraid you were going to ask me. So. My favorite book is not a super inspiring book. You know, my favorite book, I read it every year, is East of Eden. And I just think it's just so beautifully written. Uh, the prose from Steinbeck is so pretty that it just inspires me, not what the book is about, but but to do pretty things in my life. I think that the book that has inspired me uh, personally, I just did the Camino de Santiago, uh, you know, the hike in Spain with my dad a couple of months ago. And in preparation for that trip, I read the book, The Pilgrimage by Paulo Coelho. I don't know if, you, if you've read it, but it's a book about 
self journey and at the end you you know you realize that you had everything you needed at the beginning so it's a book about the relationship between journeys and discovery and uh business wise uh Daniel makes fun of me because I always like the last book that I read but it's a shoe dog you know the story of Nike and, and Phil Knight and I think everybody interprets shoe dog differently for me it's all about the struggles and joys never stopping I I once asked uh, a very successful banker here in New York what was the difference between successful entrepreneurs and unsuccessful entrepreneurs because he deals with both and he said honestly they are all the same and it is the same product just the successful ones never give up and i think that book is the epitome of that i love that you mentioned these three books shoe dog is our most recommended book on this show um uh everyone or many many of of the people that, that that have come on raves about it um east of eden this is a first for that my wife loves that book um and the pilgrimage haven't heard of that so i'll definitely have to add that to my reading my reading list so um yeah it, is, it is the same author as the alchemist oh okay okay yeah got it got it awesome awesome um that's another the, the, the alchemist is also another one that gets mentioned a lot um miguel this has been so much fun thank you so much for your time Thank you Mike. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for letting me tell a little bit of the Somo story. No, I I really appreciate it. Thank you uh uh thank you so much. And there you have it. Thank you again Miguel for coming on the show. It was terrific chatting with you. If you're enjoying the show, highly recommend subscribing to the newsletter at theconsumervc.com where you'll get all new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. And if it's on Spotify or Apple, please write a review. Every review helps. Thanks again for listening and until next time.